0: Emily P. Freeman is the kind of person I have grown to admire, respect, and quite frankly, adore. I love her. I love her podcast, The Next Right Thing. I love her book, The Next Right Thing. And today I had a conversation with her that I think you are really going to love. I personally gained so much wisdom and insight from specific circumstances that I find myself in today, decisions I'm making today that helped me move forward in the right direction. I hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with Emily, and I hope you enjoyed reading her book, The Next Right Thing, if you are part of the Nancy Ray Book Club. And if you're not, and you don't know what that's about, you can go to nancyray.com slash book club to learn about the 12 books that I'm reading this year, one book a month, and find out a little bit more about how you can join in on the journey with me. You're listening to Work and Play with Nancy Ray, Episode 65. Much of our daily lives can be divided into two categories work and play. Simply put, that is where our life and our legacy take place. This is a podcast all about learning to work and play well, which leads to a healthy soul and a fulfilling life. Let's dive in. Emily, thank you so much for being on the Work and Play podcast. I'm so grateful to have you here. Oh, listen, I am so excited about this. I can't wait to chat it up. Absolutely. Well, you are one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. The Next Right Thing podcast that you have has just been such a breath of fresh air for me, and it has definitely inspired my podcast on a lot of levels. So thank you for that. And if you're listening today, you definitely should go check out her podcast because it really is one of my favorites.
1: Oh, I'm so glad. That's uh, I love hearing that. And when I started the podcast, that was one of those experiments that was like, this might not work, but I'm going to do it anyway. And so totally. I have really loved that it's kind of found a listener and um, it's been really fun to do. It is fun. Yeah. I'm a few years behind
0: you in the podcast world, but it has really been sweet just to glean what you have done and kind of learn from it and also just be inspired from it. So thank you so much for that. It's been really encouraging for my own personal life. But I want to jump into talking about your book, The Next Right Thing. Um, I I know that you get this all the time because I listened to your podcast episode about Frozen 2, but I'm immediately singing The Next Right Thing in my head because I have two little girls and love that song. Um, but yeah, I it, this book has been... I read it several months ago, and I've been combing back through the pages of it, and it has been such a great tool and resource, and I feel like even as I'm going back through it, there's more nuggets and more wisdom, even just in the quotes that you use that I find. Um, So I'm excited to talk about it today. And so it's all about decision-making, but before we get to the book, I would just love for you to explain how you got here. Like How how are you, the podcast girl and the author, all about decision-making? What led you to this point?
1: I would love to say that when I first started out, I was like, I am going to be the person who, um, you know, talks about decision making and discernment. I wish I would have thought of that 10 years ago, (laughs) but with like so many creative things, um, so much of what we share in the world are things that we have lived for many, many years before it ever hits the light of day. And so for me, I've been, my first book came out almost 10 years ago now. And, you know, it, it, it all is an evolution, right? So I, you know, I started writing kind of my own sort of my own story mixed in with things that I was learning. And, um, and that over time, you know, I think every book or message or anything that I share or or that any of us share always comes from a deep well first, hopefully. Um, and so this this idea of the next right thing, which, by the way, in case it's not painfully obvious, I did not come up with the phrase, do the next right thing. I've learned a lot from the recovery community um, who, you know, the, the 12 Steps of AA yep. talk about one of the steps is, you know, just do the next thing. And yeah. that along with so many other um, artists, speakers, advocates, you know, justice seekers, presidents, I mean – so many people have have shared this simple phrase. Um, and for me, I first heard it back in college. I was listening to um, an Elizabeth Elliott. She used to have a radio program. It was like pre-podcast, but it was a 15-minute radio program. So it was kind of like a podcast, <laughs> but it was called Gateway to Joy. And so she had this little program that came on, 15 minutes. I think it was daily. And... I would. I was a commuter student at, at college, and I would have to get there early so that I could find a parking space. And I would park early, but I was f- happy to do it because I could listen to Elizabeth Elliott's radio show. And she always started the show with the same, um, same line. She would say, you are loved with an everlasting love, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And then she would go into a teaching or a story or whatever. But one poem that she quoted a lot was a poem called... Do the next thing, and I remember she would, you know, it was kind of a sing-songy poem, and it always stuck with me because at that time in life, you know, it was one of those times in college where it's like everyone's asking you, "What's your What's your next thing? What are you going to do when you graduate? What you know, dating this guy? What's going to happen?" And so, so much of our life at that stage of life is the posture of. Forward thinking, you know, it's hard to live in the moment when you're in school, when you know it's not going to last forever. And so that question was for me, you know, what is my next right thing, or what is the next thing? But it was a comfort in a way; it was a relief to think, okay, I don't have to think ten years down the road. Just what is the next thing? And so I think that seed was planted for me way back then, and then over over time, um, you know, my own walk with God connected with my tendency to try to look too far in the future or be pulled back in the past and regret. Um, that phrase kept coming back as a real fixed point for me in my own personal life. And so naturally those things that just, those those um, ideas that keep circling back around for us in our lives, I think those are the ones that, you know, exploring further as a writer, since that's how I sort of process the world, that's something I really wanted to explore further and see, you know, what might be there.
0: I love that. And It, as you're talking, I'm realizing, I think, I think there's this theme that God is trying to tell me too, even as I'm hosting different interviews on this podcast or reading different books or even just in my season of life. And it boils down a lot to that phrase, do the next right thing. Um, you know, one of the first episodes I released on my podcast is this idea of calling versus assignment. And how, you know, a lot of times I think in the Christian community, we're always talking about what are we called to? What is our life plan? What is is the thing? And I think the Lord oftentimes works more in seasons and assignments than He does. Like, this is how your life is going to look for the rest of your life. Like, He doesn't ever (laughs) tell us that. But instead, it's more of like, you know, um, I think even one of the quotes in your, in your book, um, I don't remember who said it, but it's like, the word is a lamp into my feet, not my football field. Like he just gives us the next
1: thing. Yes. That that was a Jamie B. Golden quote. If you want. Yes. That's right. (laughs)
0: Yes. Um, and I, I just love this idea. I don't know why we feel this need to have our entire life planned out or to have this thing, but it never happens that way. Um, and it's just good and refreshing, and almost like a burden's lifted when we can say, "Hey, all we have is now, and all we're really called to do is the next right thing." So that's
1: freeing in a lot of ways. I think it's freeing too. I think a, a big part of it is so much of our culture, at least United States of America, Western culture. Yeah. It's extremely independent, and when you know, it's it, we really. Um, We reward or award or give accolades to the um, individual success, and when we live that way and grow up that way, then it there's a lot of pressure on, okay, well, how can I then move forward successfully we We don't you know we think about you know in in the Bible in you know it's an Eastern book, and that the Eastern book is much more communal there was much more right. familial you know dependence on one another and moving forward together, and this the next right thing. Perhaps there wasn't so much pressure on each individual person about what's next. Mm-hmm. It's like what is next for us as a group of people. So I think that's an added element to it that we often don't reflect on because it's sort of like a fish you you know in water. We don't realize it's the it's the air we breathe. It's we're swimming around it all the time, and so it's hard to tease that out.
0: Yeah, such a good perspective. Well, I
1: want to talk about some of the parts in the book
0: that meant the most to me or that really were eye opening for me and. Also, at the end of our conversation, um, as kind of is my tradition with the book club, I'm going to share my top three takeaways from the book um, that apply to me in my life right now. But the first thing I want to talk about is your chapter that's called Look for Arrows. And I loved This chapter. There's so many chapters I feel like I could have pulled from and talked about today, but I, I chose a few. Um, but one of the things you said in your book is God often gives a faint vision of things before they ever come to be. It's not full form, it's more of a shadow. It's not focused or clear. It doesn't come with steps or money or sure things, but it does come with hope. And hope is what keeps you going in the fog. So instead of those black and white answers we tend to love so much, what if we began To look for arrows. Could you talk a little bit about arrows and that concept of looking for arrows, and kind of what this means to you?
1: That chapter, or that you know, story, or idea, or concept, really grew out of a time in my life, in my family life, with my husband John. Um, You know, when we got married, he went directly into a role at a church as a youth pastor. And for the next 12 years, that's where he stayed. Two different churches, but that was his role. And there was a season of our life where he really felt like something was changing. Um, It was time to, to move away from That role as a youth pastor. But the question was, we didn't know what he was moving into. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that idea of being called out of something, but it's scary because you don't know what you're being invited into. You only know what you're saying goodbye to. And so that was a, you know, there was some excitement there, but there was also a lot of fear and um, anxiety and question marks. And as John and I, you know, together, we kind of Decided to, okay, we're going to really commit this to prayer. We're going to, you know, really listen for, you know, God's voice or what God might be inviting us into or what might be next. And in prayer and conversation, over time, I realized um, the answers weren't really coming the way that I thought, anticipated, even the way answers had come for me in the past. Um, and that's the thing about walking with God, right? It, it, he never changes, but He communicates differently in different seasons of our lives. And so, you know i was listening for a certain type of answer and i wasn't getting it um and so what well, and in quite frankly just meaning i we didn't really know what to do any clearer months down the road than when we started <laughs> so it was just very much a waiting time and kind of a, a walking through a qu- holding the question marks really and i remember i went to the library to return a book and but the the outside library return thing didn't work so i had to walk into the library which you know was so annoying because i didn't want to walk into the library but i did of <laughs> and it's like you know i want to be efficient so but i pass a, a shelf I, I tend to you know once i'm in there i'm like well i'm here i may as well browse some of my favorite shelves right and so there was a spine of a book a little tiny book that really stuck out to me And this it said what now question mark and i pulled it out and it was a book written by ann patchett it was actually a commencement speech she gave that um they turned into like an essay for a book, and and the whole book was really it was short. You could read it in one sitting. Was was that idea of what now? You know what's next? And it stuck out to me because that was my question. Um, and so I read the book, and it was it, it was great, and it was. Um, but the main the main thing that I took from it was that question that I, it, it sort of named the thing I was questioning, which was what now. And what now when there aren't clear answers as to what's next? And so as John and I continued to talk through that and um, pray together and listen together, um, what we realized, and I'm talking over months' time, maybe even a year's time, was that um, the answer we thought we wanted wasn't coming. But instead, we were finding arrows um, to just the next right thing. And for us, the arrows pointed from me to him and from him to me. Mm. And we were kind of looking for an answer of a vocation outside of ourselves. And instead, we began to recognize um, a connection between one another. And looking back, the answers eventually came. He eventually stepped into a role in a nonprofit. And there there are answers now. Um, But the arrows that uh, we started to name that were pointed towards one another, because here's the thing: if we had had answers that we thought we wanted, we might not have drawn as close to together. And that's really that really was the deeper answer. Because here's Mm -hmm. the whole thing about decision making and vocation and. Where should I live and who should I marry and what, what decision should I make next? We tend to want to make it about the decision, but so often it's really not about the decision that we're making. It's about the person we are becoming. And that is a much more um, nuanced and difficult and cloudy and scary thing to confront. And so instead we just look for the answer. Right. But, but for us, that, uh, that season of recognizing the arrows pointing to one another and to simply our next right thing, that's now become a posture. It's become a way of life for us um, in a way that if we had gotten the answers when we thought we wanted them, uh, we would have missed out on this whole deepening of our relationship and uh, a stronger connection with God. I Yeah, I love that so
0: much because I'm thinking back to times in my life where I have made big decisions. And I think you talk about this, but you become hypervigilant you're very aware of a book on a shelf at a library or you know a word on the radio or whatever it is maybe something that a friend says to you because you're looking for that answer you're looking like, god when are you going to speak to me or how are you going to speak to me um and i think it's so important to open our ears not just to what is that vocation or what is the, you know the answer to that specific decision but god what are you saying to my heart what are you saying to who i am how are you speaking to the relationships in my life? Because that often is where His heart is, right? He loves us. And even as I've transitioned in my really big decision over the last couple of years was whether or not to close my business. And I've realized this has been the Lord loving me. This hasn't really been so much about the close of my business as much as it has been Him chasing after my heart and bringing me back to a place of health in some areas where i Didn't have health and it's been more about my relationship with my husband and, um, just becoming the mom that I really have wanted to be. So it's just so refreshing to hear that. And I think it's such a good reminder to, yes, look for the decision, but have your ears open to whatever God's trying to say to you and your heart and your character and your identity in the decision making process. While you are kind of hyper vigilant and listening to everything, make sure you're listening to his voice. Um, over just what is the the answer to this one decision?
1: It's so true, and it's so not easy, <laughs> right? You know, because that that idea of listening for the arrows beneath the answers that you're looking for right. is it, that's not a quick that's not a quick solution, and sometimes we really need to know what to do. Um, right. So I recognize it's easy to say, but but hard to do. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Also, this is a side note, but I just was smiling as you were talking about John stepping out of youth ministry after 12 years. I don't know if you know this. My husband was a youth pastor for five years, and that was, um, I guess, his second job. Yeah, his second job after we got married. And same exact situation where he felt like the season was done, and we were definitely being brought out of that, but he did not know what he was stepping into. And that is such a crazy— circumstance. But I just think it's so funny that for a brief moment, our lives were very parallel as far as our husband's vocation and stepping out of that. And looking back now, there was a season where he pursued his own thing. And then he um got offered the job that he is in right now, which is a perfect fit for him and so cool. But Anyway, side note, I just thought I'd share that with you because
1: I thought it was really uh, interesting that we both kind of lived through a very similar season. I love that. And I think there are a lot of people there of that, you know, it's and we think we're the only ones when we're in it, right? Like nobody yes. leaves a job before they have something lined up. Nobody does that, but a lot of people do that. <laughs>
0: yes, for sure. And I think, too, sometimes God asks us to take that step without having the thing lined up, because it does stretch our faith and it does cause us to really get on our knees after Him. Um, If it was all tidy and we had the next thing lined up, we wouldn't be in that place of really like banging down the door and seeking Him and looking. And I think that's such a gift to recognize that season, not as a burden, but as a gift.
1: Yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. Yeah.
0: Um, Okay, so— Talking about two things, I'm, I'm transitioning a little bit to kind of our lives in the day-to-day, in the present. I think that two things uh, that you address in The Next Right Thing um, has to do with my inbox and my social media. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of explain what that is, but there's two chapters in your book. One is about collecting gurus, mm-hmm. um, and one is about comparison. And so first I want to talk about collecting gurus and what you mean by that, because I feel that, like you talked about it in your book, your inbox is kind of flooded with all of these teachers and things. And um, what do you mean by collecting gurus and how does that affect our decision making?
1: It's a great question. And I use the word guru very loosely. I don't know what the actual definition of a guru is. I but just <laughs> like that you use that word because it's just kind of a funny word. It's great. <laughs> I know. It's really funny. Well, for me, um, I just think of it as like, you know, a teacher or someone telling you how to do something or, uh, or what to do in a certain area of of life. But, you know, I talk a lot about decision fatigue. And I think when we say that word, a lot of us are like, oh yeah, I get that. You know, like that, that's a life that I live and I understand this idea of decision fatigue and it can come for all different reasons. But, um, for me, there was a particular day when I remember sitting down, my decision fatigue was like off the charts. And I thought, you know, like you do when you have some unanswered questions in life, you look for something to check off your list that you can control. And for me that day, it was my email inbox. So I'm like, I'm gonna get sit down and I'm gonna get that thing to zero. And here we go. And so I sat down and I was, you know, checking the email and trying to process the email. And I realized that. After a period of time, I started to feel this sense of like urgency or anxiety, um, and I, as I was trying to clear this inbox, and I realized that okay, I started to pay attention to because here's the thing: whenever I begin to feel that sense of anxiety or any any emotion or state of being that is off center. I try to pay attention to that because I think our bodies know things before sometimes our minds and our hearts do. Yeah. So it's good to pay attention to your body. Um, and and so when I started to feel that heightened sense of anxiety, I I pause and asked myself, okay, where did that start? Let's trace it back. And I recognized in that inbox, I had um, emails from a business coach, a book launch guy, an Instagram teacher, um, a lady who created courses and taught you how to do that, a person who taught you how to declutter your house. I, I also had results and follow-up results from quizzes and tests that I had taken throughout the year about all kinds of things, Nancy, like my dress, the way I dress, my personality, my hair type, how to work with curly hair, uh, my marketing type, every, listen, there's a personality type for every area of your life, <laughs> everything. Ask yeah. me how I know. Um, and so here's the thing. I love the online space. I think it's magical for many reasons because we can learn so much about our work ourselves or, you know, we can teach ourselves to do stuff and then we can, you know, do it. And it's amazing. So I'm not knocking the fact that there are so many teachers and gurus online, but what I recognized was I had collected too many of them at one time. And, I, I've, I mean, definitely there's positive things about it and I've, I've gained insights about myself. Um, but the problem that I realized was that, um, I had started to collect these gurus and as I combed through my inbox and I read, you know, I kept seeing do this, do that advice and, you know, just, you know, telling me all about myself, all these different areas, um, I had to I realized it wasn't the actual teaching or the actual thing they were telling me but it was just that there were too many at once and I I had to admit and confess um on a deeper level that sometimes when I am trying to avoid something that I am really called to but seems scary I will turn or if I have question marks in my own vocation in my own life in my own personal life family whatever um I can subconsciously turn to people who feel sure in their era, area of expertise, um, almost as a way to have someone give me a to-do list of an in an area I control, which is the mm-hmm. very reason why i sat down to my inbox in the first place. Yep. And so recognizing that, that um, okay, it's good to find teachers, um, but if we're not careful, uh, we can try to get all of their clarity- Uh, in their areas of expertise to try to rub off on us, hoping that um, we'll get some order in our lives finally, right? And so I realized that it's great to find these mentors and teachers. I just, it's important to pay attention to your life and to do good things in the right order. Absolutely. This hit home for me in such a big way because what do we do every day? We sit down
0: at our inbox and we're trying to sift through them. And I'm all about being an email ninja, right? I love sitting down and I love getting my email (laughs) down to zero and I love going through all those things. But when I read this, I realized, and this whole topic of decision fatigue has most recently been like very present on my mind. Like what what am I doing every day that's just kind of making my brain tired all day long so that when I get to the big important decisions, I don't have any energy left because I'm making all these other decisions throughout the day that really don't impact my life or don't give to my life. And this was one of them that was so eye-opening. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm doing this. I have so many gurus and teachers and so many podcasts I'm trying to listen to and so many courses I'm considering buying and so many emails I've subscribed to. And all of those are good things. People, like you said, people in the online world are amazing. There are so many things that you can learn from and master in your own life, and they really, truly can enhance your life. But if you have 10 of them or 15 of them, or I mean, goodness, even five sometimes can be too much. It's like you just, you need to break it down and just focus on one at a time. Because if you don't, even trying to do five things at the same time, it's overwhelming. It's too much for our for our mental capacity. So yeah, it's. I think it's very relevant to today, especially in just our day-to-day life, because we're confronted with this, it it feels like to me, I'm confronted with this all day, every day, in my inbox
1: um with all these different opportunities you know it's so true and i i think one helpful filter for people to think about when is a good time to look for a mentor a guru or teacher and when is not a good time Mm. and for me i've recognized sometimes when i do it opposite when i'm feeling unsure or indecisive or doubtful um i can be tempted to look around um and I'll, and I'll call it research. I mean, I'll be like, Oh, well, I'm, I'm trying to lo- discover the, this thing yep. and it's very important. Yep. And, um, but what happens is I'm actually, um, searching outside of myself for, uh, uh, something that I think I'm missing. So here's, here's the filter that is helpful for me. A, a vision, a calling, vocation, all of those things, those come from within and they are, they will not be discovered, um, on Google or searching searching on the computer or trying to find answers. So the best time to find a teacher or a mentor in something is not when you need clarity on your calling or your vocation. That's going to come in the quiet places um, with God in and yeah. in, in the silence center of your own soul. Um, but that vision and purpose, once it's there— and then when you're looking for a plan or even a next right step in your vision or purpose, I think that's when is a good time to seek insight from other people. Yeah. Um, and so looking for so that, so the idea is when you're, you know, looking for purpose or vision, that has to come quietly. Um, and probably with a, with a select sacred few people, there might be people, but they're people who know you well in, person. Um, But then when you're looking for that plan or steps or how to, or to enhance that vision, because you know, the big picture, that's when I think is a good time to look for those gurus. Yeah. So good. And I
0: think about that's, it's like a theme of your work, a theme of your podcast that I really appreciate about you as your voice is saying, Hey, get quiet. I feel this tendency in me whenever I need to make a decision is to pick up the phone or to call somebody or like to Google or call my mom or my sister or say, Hey, I need prayer. But like, actually I need to hang up the phone. I need to shut down my computer. I need to get in a quiet place and I need to silence everything and just listen. I need to listen to the Lord. I need to listen to what my intuition is saying, you know, cause I think the Holy Spirit speaks a lot through, through that. And I, yeah, it's just, it's we can't. I can't be reminded of that enough. I need that reminder all the time. I think we all do is we look outward for answers, but really we need to look inward.
1: I think we do. And I think it's important to point out that we all approach our lives, our relationships and our decisions differently. And there's no wrong way to do it. I think there are, um, some of us lead with our heart. It's like we just feel a certain way about something. Um, we're drawn to it. It feels life-giving. Some of us lead with our, with our minds and our thinking self. And so we make lists and we look for the facts and it's very logical and methodical. And others of us lead, like you said, more intuitively where we just kind yeah. of, we feel it in our body. It, we either are, are, we rise or we fall. We, there's a darkness to it or a lightness to it and we can't really put it into words. Um, and I want to point out that not one of those ways is wrong. Those are beautiful ways to approach decisions, but the, but when these decisions are Difficult, or we're not sure what to do. It's important to integrate all three of those areas. You'll lead with yeah. one heart, head, or or um, or intuition, but bringing in the other two is vital to make a wholehearted decision. And sometimes we're not good at those other two areas, and that's when we seek, like you know, for me. I I tend to lead with my heart, um, and listening to my heart and recognizing what my heart is saying is so important in naming it. But then there might come a time when I also need to, like you said, call my sister because she tends to, she thinks very logically and she'll ask me questions that I won't in a million years think to ask myself, but it can offer so much clarity. But if I only go to her or if I only value the way other people make decisions, then I'm never listening to my own life. And I don't know about you, Nancy, but for me, as someone who does lead with my heart, um, I grew up thinking that was wrong, and so I would stuff that down, and I would then uh, end up doing things that didn't feel authentically um, where I felt led because I was valuing the way other people make decisions over the way I do. And I think it's important to recognize all these decision-making postures are welcome at the table, but but don't let just one lead, that right. we have to listen to all the voices um, because because the spirit talks through all of those speaks through all of those ways right right um, and we just need the full picture uh and the full expression of of God through our own lives and through the lives of others as well yeah and I
0: think in a nutshell I just need to slow down mm-hmm. like in looking through at all of those I love that the head the heart and your intuition it's like I just need to kind of slow down yeah. a little bit pay and pay attention to all of those things and not just lean so heavily on one. Um, Yeah. Thank you for that reminder. It's really, really good. Okay. So we talked about gurus and in your inbox and everything coming at you there. And then there's social media and the life we live in here that I feel like really just bombards us in our daily life. And maybe not even social media, just walking into Target or whatever, <laughs> but there's this comparison. It's like this background hum in our minds of comparison or always thinking about how we or our life is or is not measuring up. And one of the things you say in the chapter walk into a room is you may, talking about making a decision, you may want to say no to something because you're afraid you won't measure up, or you may be glad to say yes to something because you feel pretty confident you'll come out on top. How might your posture toward your decision change if comparison didn't play a role at all? What if instead of running decisions through the comparison grid, we chose to ask ourselves about connectedness? So talk to me about that. Talk to me about comparison versus connectedness and what you mean by that.
1: Well, first, this idea of comparison shows up differently for all of us. I think some people um, have the classic sense of, you know, comparison where we're like comparing maybe what someone else has versus what we have or, yeah. you know, someone else's success versus our lack of success. And so there's that piece of it. Um, it could also be, you know, I know the classic you know, Instagram situation that sometimes people talk about is like, you know, how we share our highlight reel on Instagram and sure. we just see like, you know, the, the the highlights of everybody's life. And then, you know, and then some people take it to the other extreme and they just show like the pile of dirty laundry. And then we think that that equals <laughs> being vulnerable when really that's just a pile of dirty laundry that says nothing. Right. You're not, it's not really vulnerability. <laughs> that's just a mess. Right. And so that doesn't right. equal necessarily, but there can be comparison there too. Like, oh, well, yeah. she's more vulnerable than I am. She's more free than I am, or whatever. Um, and then there's this other level I think of comparison that 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 I resonate more with personally is is kind of recognizing it's not so much that I'm you know envious or wanting what someone else has, but I can sometimes compare um, how someone else shows up in a room compared to how I do, mm. or the way in which they move through the world with a confidence or a um, a a surety in their calling that i can compare to so it's not so much this tangible things like you know what they how much money they have or what type of car they drive which i think is the classic but it can be more like someone's way of being that we think that we are lacking and so it's there can be this comparison space and no matter what our i think we all compare it just it just manifests itself differently right sure so no matter how it it does show up for us in our lives. Any any measure of that um, cannot coexist with connection, and it, that comparison always will get in the way of um, connecting with other humans, um, which is so sneaky because it's it's like we long for connection, but we also sabotage ourselves from it don't we mm-hmm. and I think that when it comes to this decision-making life and discerning our next right thing um sometimes it gets really cloudy because we it's hard to step into something with confidence even our just very next right thing when we feel less than when we feel like we're lacking something um, and when we feel like everyone else is winning and that yeah. can that can really do a number in in our minds because there's all we're we're always telling ourselves a story. The question is, is the story true? And yeah. and so we live out of the story we're telling ourselves all the time. Um, and a lot of times that story is one of um, not being worthy, not having what it takes, and that really will cloud what we decided to next. So
0: how can we prioritize that connectedness? Because everything you're saying, I'm thinking, Yes, this resonates with me so much. I'm fe- like I feel those feelings. I can even picture people in my life that I'm like, oh yeah, I have been doing that. I've been comparing their even just their way of life to mine. Um, but how do you feel like we can prioritize that connectedness? Because that's a
1: hard thing to do sometimes, especially today. Absolutely, it is. I think. Well, for, well, to me, I, I think it starts with. Um, Clearing some of the clutter, I talk. I talk about being a soul minimalist, mm-hmm. and this idea of yes, we understand like being a minimalist in our homes. You know, like get rid of stuff, but it's really not about getting rid of stuff. It's really about keeping the things that matter most. Yeah. Um, and so, I think that the same goes on the level of our soul. Just like you had said a minute ago, with how we were talking about collecting gurus and you know all of the constant yeah. input that we're receiving. Um, I think a lot of it is garbage and a lot of it is stuff that we recognize as garbage and other things that are constantly being input, whether that's an interaction on social media, whether that's a conversation with someone at church or and at work or an expectation we put on ourselves that we don't realize is there. It's all coming in. And the question is, What's it doing once it's in there in our yeah. souls? What's it? What impact is it having? What story is it weaving? And so, if we don't take the time for me, it's for me. It looks like um, at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day, just getting still for just a couple of minutes. I even mm-hmm. set a timer on my phone um, just to be still and listen and 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 let what is be and recognize it. And I think clearing the space for letting go of some of that clutter because I think declutter. Decluttering our home, um, we know what that looks like, and silence is to our soul as decluttering is to our home. Mm-hmm. And so, letting some of that silence come in and creating the space to recognize, okay, what happened today? Okay, what weird interact? When did things go awry? Yeah. At what point did I feel weird? Who did I interact with, and I left that interaction feeling worse than when I went into it, and finding recognizing and noticing some of those spaces and then naming them for what they are. And I think this it's a powerful practice to begin to put into words. Sometimes I I say that I my, I've made it my job to put into words things people don't have time to think. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I and I and I take that very seriously and it sounds kind of crazy but I I do think there's something to um naming states of being or interactions that we've had as disappointing as um that hurt my feelings or I was offended there. I'm not saying you have to say it to the person, but admitting it to ourselves and confessing in the presence of God is so important because, um, and getting back to your question of how do we prioritize connectedness? I think first it starts with, with being honest about where we feel disconnected of naming those spaces where things are hard because we can't walk into a space and expect to connect when we have all of these, this, um, unspoken narrative that we that remains unconfessed within us because then the all then we'll just play act connection and try to be like you know with people in a way that looks like you're being authentic when really you have all of these all of this stuff beneath the surface that you've not dealt with because it's scary or it's hard or you're embarrassed about it um and I think the first step really is clearing the space. The second step really is naming the narrative, at least in the presence of God, if not right. in front of other people, um, and really owning, okay, I feel when I'm around that particular woman at you know in my small group or in my work community, um, I recognize in myself, I've, I shrink. I don't show up fully at the table. Why is that? Um, she might never know. But but naming it for yourself um, can be really powerful, and then allowing a true story to rise up um, is equally powerful, and that can change how you walk into a room. Um, and then I think also finally embracing this idea that, you know what, this idea of freedom, that we are all um, created as as ones who bear the image of God and that we are given a job to do in this world that's different from the job other people have been given to do. And what a beautiful chorus we can sing when we recognize we are all singing our harmonious parts. Um, But that's hard. That's sometimes hard to see that we actually have a part to sing when we're paying attention to uh, other people's parts, if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. And what I'm hearing is
0: connectedness starts almost within yourself. Like you have to connect with yourself and the Lord and your real emotions. That's the first point. And once you get that, then you can healthfully connect, healthfully, I don't know if that's the word, healthfully (laughs) (laughs) connect with, uh, you can connect with others in a healthy way. Um, And I just love that because you do, you end up putting on this false self or you just stuff the emotions and you keep running in life. And that's no way to live. And that's no way to live life in community and you can't connect authentically and vulnerably if you're just stuffing and you're disconnected to your own self. And I love um, how you talk about that. And in the next right thing, naming the things that are unnamed inside of you is such an important step in this process of deciding. And the chapter on coming home to yourself flows right into this idea because you have to know yourself and you have to come home to yourself. And I love so one of my favorite stories that really, when I think about your book, I don't know why I think about this story that you told. It made such an impact on me as I was reading it, but when you and your friend Tish were talking and she looked at you and she said that she felt pastored by you and you said in your book, something caught within me, a light both foreign and familiar and the tears stung and the light grew and I knew she spoke something true. And this this idea of coming home to yourself, recognizing your own gifts, recognizing who you are, and how this and being connected to that is a foundation for good decision-making. Tell me a little bit more about how that, how how our decision-making, big and small, in life is linked to this idea of just coming home to yourself and being true to yourself.
1: My friend Phil Anderson says that it's a wild and wonderful thing to bump into someone and realize it's you. And when he said that, I thought, oh, that is something I could think about for a while. Because I think that your story, the one that you recounted about that conversation with Tish, when someone speaks something that resonates so deeply with you about you, um, you'll know it. And I'm not saying you'll do anything about it. You might not admit it or embrace it, but you will know it. Mm -hmm. And that can be terrifying. And I think until we... Uh, begin to as we lean our ear against the heartbeat of God and listen for his expression through our unique giftedness and our own lives until we're we're willing to do that i think our decisions are always um we're only going to come to them with half of ourselves and you know st- So much of what what people come to me for or listen to the podcast or read the book or whatever, there's always a presenting decision, right? Like, well, I started listening to this podcast because, you know, it was about decision making and I had this huge decision to make. Um, But it seems like, and I know I've heard, you know, I'm not a counselor, but I've heard counselors, you know, they talk about how people come for one reason, but then you dig down and you see there's some other things happening beneath the surface here. And I think that's probably true for all of us. Um, But this idea of coming home to yourself... I think we spend our whole lives kind of discovering and uncovering um, who we most deeply are. And listen, this is not a. I think there can be a, a tendency to fear that that um, pursuit because it seems like, oh, but we should be seeking who God is. But I just am convinced, and David Benner is someone who talks a lot about this: the gift of um, the gift of being yourself. I think is the book. I might have got that wrong, but he, but the idea of of understanding ourselves. Um, is is very intertwined and, and almost inseparable for those who are in Christ from understanding God. And that as I seek to know God, I will then know myself. And as I seek to learn more about myself, God will inform um and I'll and I'll learn more about Him. I think there's just this it's not these two paths like, well, now I'm on a journey of self-discovery, but over here right. I'm gonna learn about God. It's like, no, that's that's not what Jesus came for on the earth. He he's an integrator, you know, he is a a a a connector and a yeah. whole there's a wholeness perspective of this. And that um so so I think this idea of 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 confessing, um, you know, we talk a lot about confessing sin, but scripture also talks about confessing righteousness and embracing giftedness. And so I you know, we we can focus on one at the expense of the other, and I'm and I think this decision making process can be a first step, or a catalyst, or a question mark that opens the door for a really rich conversation and connection with God and the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in ways that we never would have accessed um, yeah. if it weren't for this difficult decision. Yeah,
0: um, one line that you say. That is another thing that has stuck with me so much. Um, and your book is a question that we need to ask every time before we make a hard decision. And that question is, am I being led by love or pushed by fear? Can you tell me a little bit about where that came
1: from and how that is such a gift of a question when you're facing a hard decision? It's a foundational question, really. And for me, it came when I was trying to make a decision, actually, I was invited by um Compassion International to travel as a writer. Um, It was at the time when a lot of us were doing a lot of blogging, and they invited um, writers who had blogs that had readers to travel with Compassion to learn about the work Compassion was doing to release children from poverty in Jesus' name in these third world countries around the world. And so I was invited to go to the Philippines. And I remember it was, you know, my kids were little. My father-in-law was very sick. He had lung cancer at the time. Um, There was a lot of questions, you know, a lot of like, "Mm, this probably isn't a great time. Um, But my husband was all for it. He was very supportive. He told me I needed to do it. Um, I didn't know where the Philippines was. Nancy, I was like, "Mm, that's like Costa Rica, right? I don't know. That's Latin America. I'm the worst. This was 10 years ago. I know a lot more about geography now. Um, but I'm really bad at geography too. It's it's okay. (laughs) embarrassing, but I looked it up on, like, as the first thing I did was like, I Googled where's the Philippines and listen, it is not Costa Rica. Let me tell you (laughs) a lot. There's a a big ocean Uh uh, in between us and there. And so- I remember, though, thinking, like, you know what? It's not a good time. And I had all these great reasons on paper why this was not a great time for me to to do this trip. Um, Yeah. And I talked with the trip leader, and I kind of laid it all out. I was like, first of all, it's really far away, and I don't like flying on airplanes, and there's an ocean, and I've never been to a third world country, and blah, 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 blah. I had all these reasons. And I remember Sean Groves, he was a trip leader at the time, and he was like, you know what? There might be a lot of good reasons for you to say no to this trip. But I beg you, please don't let fear be one of them. And when he said that, I was like, oh, snap. Man. That yeah. that was really the essence. He captured it for me. Yeah. Because, you know, if, if my husband had been, you know, against it or if friends were advising me not to go, you know, that would have been one thing, but nobody was. It was mm-hmm. just me coming up with all these reasons why. But at the heart of it, it was I was really scared. Um. Long story short, I said yes to the trip and I went, and I'm so glad that I did. Now, here's the thing. I don't think it would have been wrong for me to say no. I, I think yeah. God was with me no matter what I said. Um, but I do think I might have missed out on some things if I had said no. But the bigger thing that I took away from that, you know, aside from the experience with compassion, and that's for another time, but— um, as far as the decision-making process, I recognized what a bully fear really is. Yeah. And that fear will push us around um, by default. Like, that's just—that's that that's the first— thing that will happen, right? Is fear pushes us around. But the counter to that is looking for love's invitation. Where is love inviting me? Where does love want to lead? Mm. And it doesn't mean that every no is because of fear and every yes is because of love. I mean, it can work the opposite way too, right? Sometimes we need to say no um, because that's where love is leading. But 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 asking the question can sometimes be all the clarification that we need in yeah. this situation, in this decision. Am I being led by love or pushed by fear? Yeah.
0: I think of my sister right now who is wrestling with a decision. And we've had so many conversations about this decision for her. And it I think like the first thing I'm gonna do when I get off this podcast interview is call her and ask her this question because I think it boils down to this pendulum swinging that I've seen in her, and it's going back and forth in love and fear. And thats it's just brilliant and simple, but so profound when you're in the midst of it and you can't see clearly because your fear is getting in the way or your emotions are getting in the way. And just to boil it down, like, what is the motivator? What is the thing leading you? Is it love? Are you being led by love or pushed by fear? So I will... End our interview time with that question for our listeners. Like, are you being led by love or pushed by fear? I think that's just a wonderful question for you to ask. If you are facing a decision today, and if you're not facing a decision today, write that down and come back to it because it will continue to bless you and serve you well if that is the grid through which you make your decisions by. So I'm gonna share. Emily, my three biggest takeaways. I feel like maybe as an author, that would be interesting for you totally. <laughs> um, to hear yeah, what my so biggest fun. takeaways were because I think, and, and you know, I think if I read your book a year from now or two years from now, my my takeaways would be different, right? It's very dependent on the season that I'm in, yeah. um, but I'm learning. Okay, so my takeaway number one is I need a no mentor big time in my life. Like this is something you talk about. Your big sister is this for you. I think she's your big sister, right? She's older yes. than you? Yes. Okay. So I have a big sister. I call on her all the time, too. Um, I think about my relationship with my sister when you talk about yours. But I I need a no mentor. Um, I need someone in my life to just help me say no to things. And I love that. That's something. Some of these takeaways, Emily, we didn't talk about today in the podcast. But if you're listening... You just need to go read the book because it'll make a lot more sense to you after you read the <laughs> book. Um, but truly, having someone in your life to help you say no to things is basically it in a nutshell. My second biggest takeaway is making a list of co-listeners who can truly help me guide, who, who can truly help guide me in major life decisions, things that I don't, I don't think it would be the best decision or maybe the fullest decision with all the perspective if if I just did it by myself or even just me and my husband. And you talk about this in your book where, was it when he was leaving as a youth pastor that you got a group of people or was it a different decision when you gathered a group of people around you to speak into your life and help you make a big decision? Yes. It was that. That was the decision. Yes. So I loved that concept of I've never— I don't know why we tend to just isolate and think this is all on me. This is all on my shoulders. This is something that only I can do. But there are people in all of our lives that love us and would be willing, if nothing else, to just listen to how we're wrestling with something and give some perspective or just not even give advice, but just commit to pray, you know, for us while we're making a big decision. So I love that. Um, I think I would maybe on my next date night with my husband, I just want to say like, who would be some co-listeners in our life, right? Like just getting a list of, I think you said anywhere from like four to eight people who could just sit down with you Mm -hmm. and wrestle with some decisions with you. And then my third biggest takeaway is I really need to know myself. I need to come home to myself. I need to know myself well. I need to be secure in who I am. I need to know the Lord well. And that that's the foundation for good decision-making. That's- the bottom line. There there's not a certain, I mean, there are tools. There is a certain thing you can path you can follow to make a good decision. But ultimately, that's the groundwork that you have to lay in order to make solid good decisions. So those, those are my three biggest takeaways um, from your book. And I just loved it. I really do think this is a book and and I don't, I'm not the kind of person that reads books more than once. So I like to check it off and then I'm done with it. But I think your book is the kind of book I'll pick up again. It's the kind of book that I will flip back through um, when I'm making a tough decision. Or it might be, there's like a very small handful of books in my life where I think this is the kind of thing that I want to read or or have in me kind of be refreshed over and over again. And I think that's the next right thing for me. So thank you for writing it and taking the time to do that because I think it's going to continue to bless me throughout my life. Oh, I love it. Thank you for reading. I love that. Yeah. Of course. Okay. I'm going to end with just a few fun questions. So this is just a round of questions that are more lighthearted and fun and just answer whatever comes to your mind first. Um, What's a book that you're loving right now or a book that you've read in the past that you really love that you want to share?
1: Oh yeah. You know what? Right now, the first book that comes to mind is one that I'm actually, this is cheating because I'm reading it for endorsement. I was asked to blurb it, but it's by Knox McCoy and it's called All Things Reconsidered. Um, It comes out June and it's an excellent book. And I think it's, he writes funny, which I think it's hard to do. If you've yes. ever tried to write funny, it's not an easy thing to do. So I'm, first of all, in awe of the writing and I look at the writing and I'm like, I know all these English words. Why can I not put them together in the right <laughs> order so that it sounds like this? So he's just an excellent writer. He's also really funny. So great. Um, and that's it, not cheating. I think that's a great <laughs> answer.
0: And you're actually like reading it, reading it because of that yeah. endorsement. So
1: that's. Yes. I'm excited to read that now. It's great. And he just, I mean, it's like reconsidering things from as serious as like reconsidering prayer and like what that means or God, but also like reconsidering Big Bird. Like, why do we call him Big Bird? He's the only bird on the show on Sesame Street. And it's just like things like that, that you just, you kind of go back and forth, but it, but that's kind of how life is, right? Like we're not all serious or all funny. It's just a mix. That is too
0: funny. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Okay. What is a product that you're loving? Anything.
1: Listen, I have in the last couple of years become obsessed with like face stuff, <laughs> like okay, washing my face and moisturizing and all these things, right? And so, yes. um, so anyway, all that to say, Target, believe it or not, has some like really affordable facial things. But there's a, um, oh, listen, what is it? It's a Neutrogena. It's like an oil. Is it retinol that I? It, first of all, I want to bathe in it because it smells so good, but it's too it's too expensive to bathe in. <laughs> um, Bummer. But it's great. Like I'll put it on overnight, and then I wake up in the morning. I'm like, my face is so like wrinkle-free. This is a miracle. But then you have to use it again, you know, like the next day. But anyway. But you don't mind because it smells so good, it smells right? So it keeps you good. coming back. It's <laughs> wonderful. But yeah, it's this little bottle. It's like a little, you know, like it looks like a little potion, which I like yes. potions, right? That feels special. So yeah, that's been, that's been fun.
0: I'll tell you, Target's stepping up their game in all areas. So yeah, right? I like that. And smell is big for me. Same. If it doesn't smell good Listen. or if it, yeah, I it has to smell really good. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, what are you most proud of in your life?
1: Most proud of in my whole life?
0: Wow, sure, that's like and that's heavy. So I know huge. maybe you can narrow it down if you need to to something maybe right now.
1: I'm gonna tell you right now, and it's not like it's not like you know my marriage or my children because that's a given, right? Those are given, so okay? Yeah. So we're gonna move on. Um, I'll tell you what, I right currently now I have. I decided at the beginning of this year that I wanted to do a home yoga practice every day. Um, Not like every day this year, but just like for a period of time where I was, you know, spending at least like 15 minutes basically stretching and breathing, right? Like, let's just be centered in this moment. Yes. And I've been doing it and I've loved it. And I didn't think I could be that consistent of a person. And I might not be in the future, but for now, (laughs) I have been proud of that. I'm proud of you for that
0: because I think (laughs) that would be something I also would love to do, but I am not doing that right now. I think that it would be really good though. I can see not only how it's invigorating your life and centering you every day, but something you'd be really proud of because it's hard to do that. It is hard to make time to do that little thing every day. That's it awesome. is.
1: And I thought like, oh, I, you know, going to a class, like an outside class, that's a two-hour commitment because you got to get yeah. ready. You got to drive there. You got to do it. You got to come back. And I was like, well, I'm never going to be consistent, I guess. But then I realized like, you know what? There's like free videos online that totally. you can just kind of do. And so that's really saved my life.
0: It's like, wait a second. We live in 2020. I can access this anytime, exactly. anywhere. That's pretty great. Yep. Yep. Um, okay. Two more questions. What does work and play mean to you?
1: It's funny because a lot of times I love my work to the point that it feels like play, but I know that's cheating. Um, so there, I think, I think work and play, um, what a gift when your work, when you enjoy it enough to where it doesn't always feel like work. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do feel like work is, can be a loaded word. Um, so is it calling? Is it vocation? Is it just a job? Um, and so for me, um, you know, work is an expression of, um, who I most deeply am. And so is play. And so hopefully I can show up to my work, um, as an expression of my calling and vocation. Um, and then play can be a true rest from some of the parts of the work that I don't love right, <laughs> and that are hard. And so um, play tends to, I think I have over the years seen it as something that's communal and that's with others, but I'm learning as I grow up that it doesn't just have to be, it doesn't have to look the way, it doesn't always have to look like playing a game or, you know, doing yeah. things with other people that sometimes play for me is reading fiction or is, um, you know, being still in my backyard and that can still be playful. It's more of a posture, I guess, than an activity. Totally. Yeah. I love that.
0: Um, Okay. Last question. How do you maintain a healthy soul and a fulfilling life? Man, Nancy Ray, you're just asking the questions. Huh? I know. I listen. I need to rework these questions because they're really heavy to put someone on the spot. But it comes from the intro of my podcast, and I'm like, I want to know. You
1: want to know what Emily oh. P.
0: Freeman says about
1: having a healthy soul and a fulfilling life. Well, I, I have an answer. I can tell you. Um, it's kind of the just, answer is just to read the book, right? The next thing. I'm just kidding. Right, right. Well, it's twofold in a way, but I'll combine them. Um I. Have a pretty consistent practice of reflection, and to me, um, my my teacher and and mentor Jan Johnson has said that um, that it's not the experience that transforms us, but it is our reflection upon the experience, which is why for me taking photos is so important when I travel or even in my everyday life. Um, It's not. It's so that I can look back and remember that experience and that begins to form and inform my life. And so I have a pretty regular practice of reflection. I do it, you know, kind of weekly. I also look back on every month. And then I also have a seasonal practice of reflection um, where I kind of look back before moving forward because that reflection, what I'm learning in that past season informs um, what what I do next, decisions I make next, because Mm. the truth is we're not just... Uh, we're not just doers of things, but we are people who are becoming someone, and so reflection helps me remember who I'm becoming. I am gonna sit on that for a long time, Emily <laughs> I'm so glad
0: <laughs> I literally well, as I've been a photographer for twelve years, and you I feel like you just put to words why I love photography and treasure it so much, but I've never been able to say it like that, so thanks for that that's. That's beautiful. I love hey, it. have you ever done a podcast episode on your practices of reflection? Yes, ma'am. I have. I think episode 61. Um, Whoa, good memory. I'm <laughs> real impressed that
1: you just pulled that number out of your head. That is something I could not have done. I couldn't have done it except someone just asked me yesterday. And so I had to oh, go perfect. back and look. I think if it's not 61, it's in the 60s. Um, well, I'll find it and I'll leave a link in the show notes yes. to that
0: podcast episode. And I am going to go listen to it today because I you feel could. like that is... That's really beautiful and a really, goodness, why why don't we reflect? Why don't we do that today? Why is that not talked about? I don't know. So there we go. We're going to end this whole interview (laughs) on this big question (laughs) of why don't we do this? But this is great because now they'll be able to go to the show notes and find your podcast episode and listen to it next, which is perfect. I love it. Um, well, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for coming on this podcast and for writing this book and for being you and for sharing your voice, um, with the world and with me. And I'm really, really grateful. And I know our listeners have been grateful too. So thank you. Thank you. Tell me about where our listeners can find you. And also I just want to spend like a quick, quick second talking about hope writers too, because I think that it's wonderful and an amazing community. And I just want people to have the resources if this is something that would help them. Um, yeah, so you I'll let you talk. You
1: where can we find you and tell me about Hope Writers? Sure. Well you can find me at EmilyPfreeman.com. Um and then Twitter and Instagram, Emily P Freeman, you know, all the places. The P is important. There are other Emily Freemans out there. Some of them write books. So that's why we use the middle initial let's include the P let's include the P and um so that's where you can find me you know and the books are you know on Amazon or wherever pretty much wherever books are sold and then of course the next right thing podcast um you can find me there too and then as far as hope writers you know hope writers is a a community that I co-founded about five years ago and it's for um it's for writers and it's where our our core focus is really to help writers find and follow their own path to sharing their words with a reader. We believe that every writer is on the writing path, um, but the question is sometimes I think writers get good advice and they try to implement it in the wrong order. And so if they they're you know if you're just a hobby writer and you want to write in your journal, way to go. Probably hope writers is not the space, but if you're a writer who wants to pivot from writing your words in secret to finding a reader and writing your words for a reader, whether that be through a website or through a, you know traditional publication, even um, hope writers can will have something for you there, and so. That's kind of what we foster. We have thousands of writers who are in, at all stages in the writing path. We, our library is divided into six stages of, of the writing path, and so you write when you even you can take a quiz for free at hopewriters.com/quiz to see where you are on the writing path, which stage you are as a writer, um, and then we have training and resources within each stage to help you move through um, that writing path um, at your own pace. And that's the beauty of it, right? We always say that in writing, there's no such thing as behind your pace is your pace. And so we try to serve writers right where they are so that their words of hope can make it into the hands of readers who need them the most. So great. Yeah. If you're
0: listening and you feel like you are a writer or hope to be one one day, I hope that you'll bookmark this website because it is just a wealth of resources and knowledge and experts. And I, I do love how you cater to where they are in their journey instead of having it like a blanket approach for everybody, because it's all very different. So it's so good. Um, Emily, thank you. What an honor, a true honor it's been to talk with you today. And thank you for sharing everything you shared. We're so grateful. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Okay. What did I tell you? Didn't I tell you you would love Emily? I was right, wasn't I? She's so great. I'm so thankful you were able to listen in on our conversation today, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And of course, for the corner store, I'm including Emily's latest book, The Next Right Thing, which really is a fantastic read. I highly recommend it. And it is one of those I'm going to be coming back to through the years of my life, I'm sure. As well as Emily's really yummy smelling face oil that you can get at Target, I'll be sure to leave a link to all of these things in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening to episode 65 of Work and Play with Nancy Ray. Everything I've mentioned can be found in the show notes at NancyRay.com/slash podcast slash 65. And you can find me at NancyRay.com or follow me at NancyRay on Instagram or Facebook almost daily. I'm gonna to close today with words from Emily's book, The Next Right Thing. There is power in naming the unnamed things. This is an important part of our decision-making practice and key to taking our next right step in love. Remember today is a plot point. See it honestly for what it is, but don't confuse the moments for the whole story. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.